0: Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery podcast. Um, this podcast originally was supposed to be episode 31, but it got left on the cutting room floor as we put some other stuff in front of it. And uh, we've taken the last couple of weeks, let's just say, to chop some of it up and form episode 32, which is what this is. It's hard to believe that uh, another year has gone by and Christmas has just flown by. Um, you know, with. With the closing of the bow seasons in most areas, I find a lot of people choose this time of year to pick up new bows and equipment. So in this episode, we're going to cover a couple of topics that have come up over the last few weeks with my customers and students. Um, First, let's start with bows. As you know, ATA was canceled this year, so manufacturers have begun releasing their new lines for 2021 pretty early that's a big change from the way things used to be for sure you see back in my day all the manufacturers would wait until the ata show which is the archery trade association show to announce their newest products for those of you who don't know uh ata like i said is not the axle to axle show that's the archery trade show um it was the place for dealers to go and see the new lines, make their purchase orders for the new year. Um, unfortunately a lot of that has changed and it's become a lot of hype and gimmicky salesmanship. Uh, if you saw what it was like last year, I compared to what it was years ago, it was just like craziness. Um, I think the boat companies caught on to that a few years back. So they, they started releasing their lineups early instead of waiting for the show. Um, Of course, they usually hold back a thing or two just for the ATA, but for the most part, the new bow lines are out way before the show opens. With COVID as a concern, the ATA show was canceled, and now it's anybody's game when it comes to who gets out, out there first. So people have been asking me what they should be getting when it comes to a new bow. Well, like I said, think with your budget, not with your buddy's budget. Get what you can afford but there you know but as always there's a few things that will help you find the right bow and more importantly one that will work with you instead of against you so what are we looking for well we're going to start with the example of a um, a hunter that I've been working with for going on almost 8 years now and his name's Jack and I've been working with his setups for a very very long time like I said it's almost 8 years over the years he changed rigs a bunch of times a manufacturers also just because he wants to go with what was new, what was being talked about as being hot. And eventually, he started to find out, as I kept on drilling it through his head, I said, listen, you can get me whatever bow you want, whether it's a bow I sell or something you get from another dealer, and I'll set it up for you. But the fact is, new bells and whistles and stuff like that don't add up into you shooting a little bit better, or at all any better, for that matter. So eventually, he did listen to me, and we got him set up with a system that worked for him. I think we set him up with a bow with evolve cams on it from PSC and he really, really likes it. And now instead of buying a bow every year, uh, getting frustrated with it and buying another one, he pick he picks up picks one up when something breaks on the bow or when there's been a major shift in technology. I don't know if you look at the bows that have been released over the last couple of years, but there's not been that many changes. They can make some of the cams smoother. I mean, compared to the eighties, yeah, it's night and day. But there's really not that much more advancements on the user end on the bows than there has been in the last couple of years. So what's changed is the tunability of the bow. And that's dangerous, dangerous statement for some people. They're like, oh, the tunability. That must mean that I'm going to shoot a lot better with it. Um, No, that's that's not what that means. What that means is the manufacturers, for the most part, a lot of them, have made it easier for the dealer to adjust the tuning on the bow. I'll give you the example. Some of the new Elite bows that are out there, they have a system on them where you can actually move the cam over and adjust the cam lean on it with a screw system, that sort of thing. Whereas before, you'd have to take the cam out and shim it move it over, depending on how much somebody torques their hand when they're shooting. The fact of the matter is people are not machines, so they all have a little bit different hand torque. Now, sometimes I'll get a person who, right out of the box, factory spec, they can shoot straight, no problem. They don't torque it at all. Um, I've been shooting for 40 years. I can shoot like that. I have very little torque in my hand, um, mostly because I can't feel my wrist anymore. But that's me. That's not necessarily everybody. People who shoot great scores who are excellent hunters, don't necessarily shoot completely straight with no torque. So we adjust the bow so that if they're pulling to one side, we'll move the cam over and get a clean tear in paper, that sort of thing. Most people are understanding what paper tears equal as far as the the arrow, how it's leaving the bow, and that'll get it adjusted. So in previous years, like I said, and for different models, we have to actually take the bow apart, move the cams over shim it that sort of thing but now they came out with new systems that you can actually do that with a twist of a screw and that's really really good so as long as you have that then it just makes it easier and that i consider a jump in tuning technology to the end user it doesn't really mean anything but it means something to the dealer and the guy who's adjusting your bow so when you hear advancement Yeah, tuning advancement, not necessarily in performance. They continue to make bows try to get faster, but they kind of hit a wall with that. Unless someone comes up with something really, really new, that's not going to change that much either. Um, So when someone's looking for a new bow, then the first thing I got to ask them is, what do you find wrong with your bow? And even as a dealer, I can tell you something that I'm usually the worst salesman in the world because I shoot myself in the foot, not that I really care, because my interest is more in what's best for the customer. Um, but I can actually talk somebody out of getting a new bow and more like investing in better um, accessories for the bow instead of a new one, mostly because when I you know, go through the points of the bow, like, well, you're going to get this bow here and spend another 1200 or $1,800, depending on what manufacturer, what elite level bow, whatever it is. When we're talking hunting bows and even with target bows in some cases. You're going to go ahead and spend this, but what difference are you getting out of it? Is it smoother? Well, feel this, feel that. No, not really. Okay. What else is it doing for you? And when we whittle down that list, they find out, well, it's not really doing that much. Okay. So why are you going to spend all the money to do that? Some people just want something brand new every year. Nothing wrong with that. That's what you want to do. Hey, go for yours. In today's economy, a lot of people can't do that. So I tell people, wait until you absolutely have to, or until something changes that's so drastic that it will improve you. Because remember, the bow is just a machine. If I put it on a hooter shooter, which is a machine that lets us shoot, shoot the bow for us with no human influence, the bow will shoot the same shot, unless there's something physically wrong with it, every single time. So you can't blame the bow. It's the user. Now, if manufacturer has come out with something like a higher let off to help the user then that's a different story and don't get me started down that road because higher let off does not mean better performance either higher let off can actually mean more problems for a user because when they're shooting the bow is not resisting them so they can get sloppy they can let up on their draw that sort of thing again give and take with everything so you have to figure out um what is there for you the biggest thing that i've seen lately is the type of stops on the bow and that's where i tell people when you're going to select a new bow if that's your you know you got your heart locked in on it you want to select a new bow you got to figure out what you're going to do with the stop system are you going to buy a bow that has limb stops or are you going to buy a bow that has cable stops because believe it or not depending on the type of shooter you are They make a huge difference, and you have to know which one to go with. Now, half the time, somebody walks into a big place like Lancaster or some other big, gigantic pro shop, and they'll try bows there without even asking, hey, what kind of stop is on this thing or looking to know the difference. And as a consumer, you probably don't know the difference unless you spend a lot of time working on bows. That's what the tech is supposed to explain to you. Like, this is a cable stop. And this is a limb stop, because they're two different they're designed for really two different types of shooters. So let's just start there. You know, we we've just gone over the bow's gonna have either a limb stop or a cable stop. And like I said, if you're unfamiliar with what those are, I'll explain them kind of briefly. Limb stops are attached to the cam itself. Often they look like little pegs attached to the cam, sometimes round. Aftermarket ones come in a variety of different shapes, and when the cam rolls around to full draw, they contact the underside of the limb and provide a solid wall that you can't pull any more against. So once they hit the underside of that limb, you're not pulling that cam any further back. Um, As long as they're timed correctly, they provide something that is rock solid with zero sponginess at all. Now, for some people, that's great. For other people, it'll suck. And I'll explain to you guys a little bit about that in a little bit. Cable stops, on the other hand, a little different. Those are on the very edge of the cam, okay. Um, and when it rolls around, they contact your cables, and they stop on the cable. So, cable is still a string, and it can still flex. So, some bows, those cables are rock solid, rock hard, because remember, all the weight is being held, all the pressure of the bow is being held on there. So, when they hit the cables, yeah, they feel really, really solid. Um, But, depending on what draw weight you're using, that sort of thing, they can get, and the cam system itself, they can get kind of sloppy, sometimes not as firm, sometimes not great. And that's why some people kind of balk at it at a cable stop. However, for reasons which I'll get into shortly, some people need that and other people don't. So, you know, cable stops and sorry for the pause here because like i'm trying to think of the best way to explain this to you but if you don't have your cams timed properly and that goes for any stop whether it's cable or not has everything to do with it um they they will act weird same thing with a limb stop if one's not timed properly they're gonna they're gonna act very very funky um this is easy to miss if you don't have your, your cams timed and you know you just think that there's something wrong with it. But when they're timed, the bow should perform as it's supposed to. Um, so which one is best? And that really depends on your shooting style. If you're the type of person who really likes to keep pulling on that string to engage the back wall as hard as possible, then you most likely want something that is firm and won't have any give. Um, this is common for bow hunters. Uh, shooting wrist releases, that sort of thing especially if they have been doing it for a while, no different clothing can affect their draw length. So they pull hard to make sure they are fully engaging their systems. And that's great because it keeps you honest. However, um, it has a drawback. And some people don't even know about it or like to talk about it or admit it, whatever. And the problem with that is sometimes you're going to pull so hard back that, like I said, On a limb stop, there's nowhere to go. You can't pull any harder on that thing because it's not. it's got no give. It's against a solid object when it rolls fully around. Well, you're pulling, you're yanking, you're pulling, you're yanking, especially if you're trying to shoot back tension, that sort of thing. Something's got to give. And usually that thing that gives is either your front shoulder, your elbow, or your wrist. And then all of a sudden you'll notice an errant shot to the left or to the right, and you'll start swearing up and down that something's wrong with the bow. When I mean, it's not the bow, it's you. has to do that you pulled so hard, especially with people using tension-activated releases. I wish people could understand. They think the tension-activated releases are the end-all, be-all. And they're preached by a lot of different people. I'm not talking about back tension. about t- tension-activated ones that you pull, pull, pull. When you hit a certain weight, they break off. And then they open and they release. Well, you can keep pulling, pulling harder. But if you don't, balance how you're pulling you're going to rip your front arm right off as it goes to one side you're going to wonder why this thing that i paid so much money for is not giving me the greatest of shots and it has nothing to do with the release it has to do with you applying so much tension that you're literally throwing your arm out of whack as you fire but if your arm is just there and you're just pulling against it and you're pulling straight and like i said all the pressures on the back side not the front It gives fine, and there's no problem. However, most people have an issue with that, and then they wind up blaming the bow, but it has nothing to do with the bow. It has to do with the camp stops. That's why I'm saying it's very important that you know what you're going to get. So it's your money. Ask, hey, I'm trying this. Does it feel right? Can it be adjusted? There is even a couple of bows that come with both a cable stop and a limb stop. Um, Look for those might want to switch from one to the other. But if you buy a system that only has one method to stop it, you're stuck with it. So be careful in what you're buying. Now, cable stops are easier only because when you draw back, they have a little bit of give. So chances are the cable is going to give a little bit more so that your arm doesn't go flying out of whack. And for that reason alone, I recommend cable stops to most people who either A, are inexperienced or B, are pull like they're trying to rip a truck down. I'm like, okay, well, this won't let your arm probably fly out so bad. And I had one guy who was getting all kinds of errand shots. He missed three deer because he was shooting and pulling and shooting and pulling. He says, I don't get it. It, it went all the way to the right. I shot right in front of his chest and then I saw him shooting on the range and I'm like, yeah, dude, you realize what you're doing? You're shooting and you are literally ripping your shoulder out and it's going to the left. While you try to put all that tension in the back, but I'm trying to keep it honest. I'm trying to make sure that I'm fully engaging. Like, yeah, you are at the expense of your front shoulder, and that's what happens. So I switched him to one of my spare bows that I had. Let him shoot it. He have, and that was with a with a cable stop. He have a single shot miss. He's like, I don't get it. The guy said this is the best thing. It's the most solid wall. I said, Yeah, solid wall. Mess with that wall too hard, and like everything else, something must flex, something must give. In this case, front shoulder, front elbow, or front wrist. There you go. Accuracy goes out the wall. It doesn't work. Other people I've seen where they don't have the ability to keep constant pressure on the back end, and they let the camera roll around. They wind up with high shots or something like that when it comes to using cable stops. Those are pe- those are people I find who have been shooting for a very long time, who used to shoot very low lead off bows, and were used to holding a lot of weight. And when they held a lot of weight, they had no choice because if they let up a little bit, it was gonna rip their back arm off. It was gonna take off on them. Well, now all of a sudden you introduce them to cable stops like that, and they're like, they don't pull back the whole way. Again, the opposite type of person. There's many different types of shooters so for someone like that i would probably say keep you honest go cable stop but don't get crazy about it and so so that's where we are with limb stops cable stops you see what the difference is ask when you go to a dealer to see a bow don't look for the newfangled thing that's like oh my god it's the greatest thing since cheese i don't care about that does it work for you okay Simply going on something and purchasing something, spending all this money, which you don't have probably to begin with, you know, with these times that we're in, based on the fact that it's the newest and best thing in the world, you got to be kidding me. If it doesn't work for you, don't buy it. And if it doesn't work for you when you're shooting it there the first time in the range, don't go assuming I'll get used to it because you won't. It's a lot of frustration and all that that you don't need. So, get something that suits you. And the other thing about the bows is let off. So, like with PSC, one of the reasons why I like them and why I sell those bows is because they have adjustable let off for the most part, in almost every single bow they make. Um, nowadays, anyway, with the Evolve cams. So, you can adjust them from 80 to 90% let off. What I normally tell people is that's important when you buy a new bow. Why is that important? Well, if you're the type of person who pulls very hard and you have very high let off, that bow's going to shake all over the place and act very weird. But you'll find if you increase, you know, the draw weight, or if you lower the let off, the bow gets stay- more steady. It's because it's resisting you, so it forces you to stay more stable, and that's what you should be looking for. So having the option to do that will help you, um, but. If you don't have that option to switch back and forth, then you better be sure about what you're buying that it suits you. So having adjustable let off, which a lot of companies have now, is very, very critical and very key to this. Also, when you buy the bow, buy what you know you can handle. I've said this on so many different podcasts before. I'm going to say it again. I will continue to say it until I turn blue in the face. Buy what you can handle. Just because Joe Blow is out there trying to muscle back an 80-pound bow on TV makes that one great shot and this and that, so what? Can you do that every single time? Can you throw 40, 50 shots in a row with an 80-pound bow? If you can, more power to you. But if you can't, don't. Get something that's more realistic and try to make that the top end of what you're going to shoot. So if I know that I'm going to buy a a bow that's got a 10-pound weight adjustment range, but the most I can pull is like 65, 68 pounds, I'm going to buy a 70-pound bow. I'm not going to buy an 80-pound bow because if I do that, I'm going to tear my shoulder apart because chances are I can only pull it back once or twice really, really well, and the rest of the time is going to suck. So, again, leave the machismo out and buy what you're able to draw back fluently, easily, without a problem. Because whether you're doing target or hunting, I tell people the same thing. And I'll try to explain it as simple as possible. And it's a key to how I coach, and it's a key to people shooting consistently. Consistently and that's key here, people, consistently. I don't care if I can make that one shot look really, really great, and then all out of 40 shots, one is great, and 39 suck, because that means nothing. The fact is, if you can't make every single shot exactly the same, something's wrong. Either too much draw weight, too much let off, something like that, because people say, okay, well, if you stand tall and you're pulling back fully and you're expanding that chest and you're giving it all in there every single time, then the shot's going to go right. And textbook? Yeah, it will. However, how many people can do that through the course of a tournament shooting 60 arrows? All great and cheesy for the first 5, 10, 15, 20 if you're lucky. And after that, you start to break down. And if you can't put that maximum effort into every single shot, Guess what? It's going to suck. And you're not going to be accurate. And that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's going to be consistent. So again, use your head. Buy what's comfortable, what feels good to you. Buy something that has some adjustment on there, that you can adjust the weight on it with no problem. Buy something that has an adjustable let off. What works for you today may not work for you tomorrow. You may get stronger than the bow. Do you going to buy another bow because all of a sudden this bow's too easy to pull back? No, don't have to. If you have adjustable let off, lower the let off. And as I said before on different episodes, I'll say it again for those hunters out there. If you go and you're going to buy a brand new bow and you're going to drop 800,000, doesn't make a difference what you're going to drop. Then keep one thing in mind. Do something like that That's cool, but if you're the type who hunts out west or in some other state, whatever, y'all better check out what their legal regulations are for your equipment out there. Why is that? A lot of new bows come with 85%, 90% let off. Well, guess what, uh, smarty pants? You go to some states, the maximum let off is 80%. And if your bow doesn't do it, you're going to get a fine. And if you think that the game wardens and stuff like that out there don't walk around with scales where they can actually check the lead off on the bow, you are sadly mistaken. You may never run into one who's going to do that. But they're out there. And if you happen to run into one, it's not their fault that they're writing you a fine for not following the law. And as I tell people, ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking it. So use your head. If you're the type who's going to hunt out west, buy something that's compliant for out there. A lot of people don't even think about that, especially here in the Northeast. They don't think about that. And then they wind up going somewhere and finding out, hey, I can't use this here. Because some of the you know, some of the outfitters will check out your equipment, and they don't want a problem with the law. So they're going to be like, no, 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 you can't use this over here. Same thing with what they do with the broadheads and the arrow weights. A lot of guys are starting to go that way. More power to them. They're trying to keep it legit. So when you buy your equipment, make sure it's you know, going according to what you're going to need where you're going. Make sure it fits you. Adjustable draw length is perfect for that. A lot of different bows out there have that. The days of having a cam that only has one set draw length on it, are going away when it comes to hunting bows. On target bows, you still kind of see that where they only have like an inch or two of adjustment. On some of the PSE bows, you might have two or three, four inches of adjustment on there. Having that ability, because not all people know what their draw length is, and surprise, surprise, people, your draw length from one manufacturer to another is different. Try it. Don't assume that a 28 in a PSE is a 28 in a Matthews. I got news for you. It's not. Some companies go half an inch long. Because they're trying to get speed out of it. For speed ratings. If it don't fit. You're going to find out the hard way. If you didn't try it. So don't walk into a shop and say. I need a 28 inch draw. Try it. You'll find some of them are too long. Or too short. Again. Manufacturer specifics. That sort of thing. Make sure you got something that's adjustable. Or if you're going to go with it. You know. A set length on a cam. Make sure you get the right one. So. Those are some of the things you got to look for when you're buying a new bow, okay? Brand really doesn't make a difference. It has to do with what you can afford, what it does. Is it right to buy the new bow anyway? I mean, is it going to do anything for you. And always remember, and this is what I tell people, buying a new bow does not buy better performance. It may buy smoother shots, that sort of thing, but the bow is a machine. I keep drilling this through people's head. The bow is a machine. As long as there's nothing physically wrong with it. Most bows have nothing wrong with them, believe it or not. Every time I come into the shop that they say oh, something's wrong with this thing, I check it and i like, dude, there's nothing wrong with it. It's you. Sometimes the cam timing is off, but even when the timing is off or when it shoots funny through paper something like that, guess what? It shoots the same way through paper every single time. And if it's doing the same thing every single time, it goes to the same place every single time. However, if the person who's on the other end of the bow, the shooter, doesn't do the same thing every single time, they're going to blame the bow. And it ain't the bow, it's them. So like I said, no bow you buy, whether you spend $300 on it or 15 or 18 some of them are up to 1900 bucks now for a carbon, which is crazy, but whatever. I'll get into that one in another episode. Don't get me started. But... I see people advertising saying, this is going to be the, you know, this will improve your score. To a world-class athlete, it might. To the average guy who this podcast is really designed for and the kids out there who just want to shoot to have fun but want to hit what they're aiming at, it won't make a difference. I hate to tell you. Everything's going to be the same. So you have to make sure that you're buying something based on what you need. Maybe the bow that you had before was too heavy for you. You're buying something lighter. Or you, you've gotten to the to the point where you're shooting a 50-pound bow or something like that. You've gotten physically stronger. Your technique has improved. You want to shoot a little bit more weight. Okay. That's a reason to buy a heavier draw weight bow, assuming you can handle it. Like I said, try it. Shoot it 20 times. I tell people, you walk into a shop, don't shoot it four or five times. Shoot that sucker at least 20 or 25 times then don't buy it. Check to see how your shoulder feels the next day. Go back. Can you shoot it again? If you can shoot it again, no problem. Hey, fine, knock yourself out. It might be right for you. If you wind up waking up with a lot of pain in your shoulder or something like that, you're putting all that effort into and watching the glam of the new bow and did not pay attention to what was really going on where you're exerting so much force to do it, but you feel it the next day. Use that as a guide to figure out what you're going to do, so that'll do it for bows as far as what you should look at when you're when you're buying something new because like I said, this is the season where people are going out there new bows are being released every time you go out there there's a different bows showing up because the re- manufacturers like I said, without the ATA are dropping new new equipment everywhere. It's not just bows there's all kinds of other sites and stuff like that releases you name it million to one things out there new. Thoroughly check it out. Test it. If it's not right for you, don't spend your hard-earned money on it. If you have a question about that, email me. Some of the bows I've tried out, okay? Tried a lot of different manufacturers. Again, as I remind people, I'm not signed or committed to any manufacturer. I sell PSE. Yes, I love their stuff. But if they have a model that sucks, I'm going to tell somebody that it sucks. Same way, I'm not going to badmouth another manufacturer just because of who the manufacturer is. If the bow is legit good, I'll tell you. If it's legit bad, I'll tell you. So, if you have a question, email me. If I have experience with the bow, and I've got experience with pretty much all of them, I've tried them at one point or another, and as the new ones come out, I get my hands on them, only because some customer stumbles into the store and into my shop and like, Hey, dude, I just got this new bow. I'm like, oh, great. Know anything about it? Nope. I'm like, okay, well, let's take a look. And I wind up spending a lot of time trying to figure it out with them. If you have a question, email me. I'll get back to you, let you know what I think about it. If I don't know about the bow, I'll tell you honestly, I have no idea. This is what I know of it. And we can go from there. But I'm always happy to help people out. So now is the time for the listener questions. And uh, we're going to get into that right now. So our first question is going to come from, let's see who we got here. Here we go. So Joel H. from Birmingham, Alabama. He writes, I was on the range a few days ago and had a, quotes coach walk up to me and tell me I should have my elbow bent. He kind of really annoyed me about it, and I gave it a try. My shots went everywhere but, but center, and he kept insisting that my form was bad. Oh, I know where this is going. I usually shoot with my arm straight and pretty much locked. Been shooting that way for 14 years and never had an issue. I'm not some kind of ace, but I've always been able to hit what I'm aiming at. Now, after shooting about a half hour, like this guy said, I switch back to my normal straight arm and find myself hitting high or low. I'm at a loss for words and would just put it all on a bad day at the range, but for the last two times I've been there, the same thing keeps happening. Can you give me an idea about what may be going on? Is this guy right or is it something in my head? Love what you do for everyone out there and hope you can be of help. Thanks as always. Okay. So I've mentioned this before. You're on the range and some busybody. In this case, a guy, quote, unquote, a coach, walks up to him and says, you know, you really got to bend that elbow. Okay. You know how you handle people like that? Politely say, thanks for the input. I might give it a try. And they're standing there in your face like, just go away, dude. That's it. Don't alter your form because of what someone says. If you're having problems with your form, great. You might want to try something. Fine. In this case, he tried it. I got back to him in an email. I said, this is how we're going to fix this. And two or three days later, he got back. He's like, dude, it worked. I'm like, okay. So in his case, he always used to shoot with a straight arm, which is how I usually tell people to do it. The bent arm thing doesn't work because it encourages inconsistency for me. But he was doing with a little bit of a bent arm. Guess what? Now, all of a sudden, he stops shooting with the bent arm after shooting that way for a half hour, 45 minutes, and he's shooting high or low because because what he's doing now is he's varying pressure on his front arm. Even though it's locked out, his shoulder might not be locked. It might be high. It might be low. And honestly, if you haven't shot in a particular style and all of a sudden you you try it and you're doing it for like half hour, 45 minutes, Your body's muscle memory, even for that small amount of time, can get pretty screwed up. So in his case, I told him, I said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to start by just drawing your bow and holding for a while, a full draw, and let down. Hold for a while, your normal stance, your normal locked-out arm, relax, breathe, let it down. He did that for about, I don't know, two days, and he was letting down. I say he would draw 10 times, shoot once let down all the other times. That's what I told him to do. He corrected his muscle memory. In his case, that worked, took care of the problem. Didn't take care of his other problem because he kept on running into this guy who's saying that he should bend the arm. I told him not to take care of that problem. Tell him to politely walk away. That's it. Thanks for your input. No, it doesn't work for me. Because in the end, if you can be repeatable with something every single time, You're going to get the arrows going to the same place every single time. It's when you have a variance, in this case a bent elbow because he wasn't used to shooting that way, he ran into problems. And there's very few people I know that can shoot with a bent elbow consistently. I mean, really, really great. In a professional ranks, Jesse Broadwater is probably the only person I've ever seen do it. Everybody else usually locks out the arm. If it works for you and, and you can do it consistently, that's what floats your boat. Go for it. But if it's not working for you consistently, don't go trying it and expecting different results because it's not going to work. So our next question comes from Mark F. from Salt Lake City, Utah. He writes, I'm in the market for a new bow now that my season is over. This is kind of why I picked this question for this because I was reading this one. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, I was in a local pro shop and looking at some, some of the newer bows they had in both PST and Matthews. The guy was telling me that if I went with a verdicts, I'd be shooting better than ever before. Ooh, I know where this is going. He said the bow will take an average shooter and make them great. <laughs> I shot it for a little while and found it to be noisy and vibrate a little too much. But it didn't shoot any better than my old switchback. I'm hesitant to spend money if it's not going to make a big difference, but was wondering what your opinion on this bow was and if it will really make that big a difference at all. Any advice you can give would be appreciated. By the way, the guys in the shop have heard of you and said that you would probably just push me towards a PSC because that's what you sell. So I should take your opinion with a grain of salt. I kind of know better since I've been listening to you for, for a few months and whatever advice you give, I'll take it as honest and true. Thanks again. Okay, so you got guys who carry more than one brand of bow, which is normal. These days, a lot of dealers carry more than one brand of bow gives you a bit of more of selection. Um, but they're pushing you towards, I think you said it was a verdict, and they're saying it's going to take an average guy and turn him into a great shooter. What did I say before? The bow does not change anyone. Increases in technology, developments in technology may make it easier for you to shoot, but they're not going to change you. So what he's saying, it's a sales pitch, and a lot of people get involved with that. Nothing wrong with it. Chill out. Don't do that. Now, he's saying that because I sell PSC that I would push PSC. Anybody who knows me tell, will tell you that if I don't think a boat was right for you, I'm not going to say it's right for you. I happen to carry the PSC. These are the ones I got to show you. Here you go. But, That doesn't mean that I'm saying this is better than this, this is better than that. There are people who like the feel of a Matthews. They like the way the grips feel. They like the way the cams roll over. There's other people who like the feel of Hoyts. It's a personal preference. The bow will not make a difference. The bow is a machine. Like I said, it'll do the same thing every single time. So beware of the sales pitch. Again, sometimes these guys are forced to sell a particular line or a particular model because that's what ownership or management wants. It's so not always because of the sales guy. So use your own judgment, but beware of lines like that because that's what they are, the kind of lines. And they don't really mean anything, not to the average person. So you know what to do with that. It's not going to make that big a difference on there. And like you said, you had an old switchback and you didn't feel different between this and the vertex. Now, switchback is pretty old technology on there. The cam system is completely different. If you're used to shooting a solo cam, you know, that sort of thing, and you try to shoot a dual cam, it's going to feel different. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe it's more demanding. It has to do with differences in technology and differences in the way that the system performs and acts. So just use your own judgment. Shoot it. If it's comfortable, great. If it's not comfortable, move on. Try something else. And finally, we have Chris H. From Astoria, New York. I recently busted my old card of chocolate addiction release and was looking for another reliable trigger. I did some shopping at the Pro Shop near me and online. Seems there are some new companies out there making some pretty expensive releases. What should I be looking for and what can you recommend? Thanks. All right, releases are kind of a touchy subject to begin with because a release, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Now, that does not mean that if you don't buy a $300 release, you're going to shoot like crap. I will tell you that if you're a heavy shooter, somebody who shoots a lot, you will notice the difference between a cheap release and a good one. Now, like he said, there's a lot of new companies. Some of them are just companies that were started. I think B3 used to be part of the Scott people or something like that. I forget which company it was. But some of the companies that are out there are you know, smaller companies, and they're making heavy-duty, good releases, really geared towards the target shooter. And the reason why they're so expensive is because the gears inside them, the machining inside them is precise. They're made much smaller as far as, you know, the numbers that they produce. So they're going to be more expensive because they take more time to do. The more you put into a release, the more it's going to cost. Now, compare that to a release made commercially like in China or something like that. Well, a 30 or $50 release and a $300 release, when you shoot them together, they feel different the question is what do you need it for if you're the type of guy who's hunting you know and using your bow two weeks out of the year getting yourself a 300 hundred dollar release is not going to make that big a difference to you but if you're shooting a lot you're on the range you're shooting 3d that sort of thing it may be worth investing in a better release that does not mean you have to break the bank for something you can't afford again i preach that get what you can afford but you can buy something used you can you know that's the best way to get something. Try it. Buy a use from somebody. You may be able to get a good release at a much lower price um, only because someone tried it, didn't like it. it, wasn't for them. Well, guess what? Their loss is your gain. But try it before you buy it. If it feels like that big a difference and you think it's worth the investment, do it. Like everything else I tell people. But if you don't feel it's that worth that big of an investment, don't bother because you're going to be wasting your money. So... That'll do it for our listener questions, and now we're going to go to that segment that everybody waits for, and that's the Don't Be That Guy, and I may have touched on this before in another Don't Be That Guy, but I'm going to go there when I was on the uh, Off Center Archers podcast, two really, really great people. um, We discussed a little bit about coaching and stuff like that, and I kind of went off about a couple different subjects, but anyone who knows me knows I go off about these subjects all the time. But, um, so I was going to go there. Over the last few months, I've seen some things at the range that are, well, frankly concerning when it comes to kids shooting and really not wanting to be there. Like I said, my biggest thing is make sure the kids are having a good time no matter what. So today's don't be that guy goes out to those parents who are literally forcing their kids to compete and shoot to some high level just because they want them to. They're like forcing them. They're like living vicariously through them. It's To them, it's not about what the child wants. It, the, one of these yo-yos actually said that to me. It, it's not about what the child wants. It's about what's best for them. Okay, you mean what's best for you. Because in the back of your head, you're hoping your kid's going to get some kind of scholarship or something like that. Okay, if that's what they want to do, fine but you're forcing them to do something to the point where they're beginning to hate it. And as I tell people, when it stops being fun and turns into work, they hate it. So don't be that guy who forces your kids to do something they don't want to do, who wants to live through them, making them do something because you think it's good for them, but at the same time, they don't want to do it. And I get the kids don't know what's always good for them, and that's fine. But for you to literally force them to do something because you want to see them achieve and this and that, that's great. But you're forcing them to do it at the child's expense? Are you kidding me? I mean, I see so much of this when I go to tournaments, not for nothing. I go and I sit there. I take my girls to tournaments. I take my students to tournaments. I take them to the park when we're shooting and working out the park. If I don't see smiles on faces, there's a problem. I go to a shoot where some of these coaches, as I'm going to call them, sitting there on their fat asses, and you know I'm talking to you because all you guys out there who do this are listening to me now, if you're listening to this podcast, and you know this is being directed at you. You go out there, you do your thing, and what do you do? Huh? These kids don't want to be there. The parents are working through you to force them to be there. These kids aren't smiling. They're either nervous because they're like, don't want to get screwed up because the parents have the audacity to yell at them for not performing well. Well, what do you expect? So don't be that guy who forces your kid into that sort of situation. You wonder why your kids don't like you? Congratulations, you did it yourself. And while we're on the subject, you know. Don't be that guy who who coaches and promises the world to a parent at the expense of a child. I've seen more than a few coaches who will remain nameless sit there on their collective fat asses and collect their fees and not even pay attention to the kids that they're supposedly coaching. Just because they have some sort of reputation, the parents pony up all this money, and they force their kids to do it. And the coach, instead of, Thinking what's best for the child is thinking what's best for his wallet. So don't be that guy or that coach who puts your financial gain over the well-being of a kid or any student, adult or otherwise. I could care less. Yeah, I'm getting wound up about it because I've got a few of those jackasses in my area who do nothing but that. And it really, really upsets me. Rant over. But like I said, those subjects kind of get me going. Anyway, so this was supposed to be the last podcast for 2020. It got chopped up and rolled into the first week of 2021. Whatever. Our next podcast will feature you know different subjects and have some guests on there. They're going to call in, that sort of thing. We're going to do another Staten Island Archery Association podcast with some of the guys on there. So we've got a lot in store. And the YouTube videos are coming slowly but surely, but they're almost there. And uh, we'll see how that all goes. So, as always, like we said, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast because, I mean, you're listening to it right now. If you want to keep up to date or when the next one gets released, you subscribe, it pops up, you know it's there. Um, doesn't cost anything. Share it with other people that you know. If you share it out there, people can find out about it. We've got a lot of stuff in there. If you have questions, feel free to submit them to us um just go to our website highpowerarchery.com send us a message we always get back to people so as i always say it's not uh it's not goodbyes until we speak to you again until then stay safe and shoot straight and uh we'll be talking to you